Hello and welcome to episode number 133 of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books and with me is Jane Litt from Dear Author and today it is all about the Dubwaha. We talk about the tournament of romance novels, we talk about the books we wanted to be in the tournament this year that didn't make it, and the origins of why we do this thing every year. And in a shocking turn of events, we disagree about something. I know, it's very, very surprising. We also talk a little bit about ARCs, advanced reader copies, and Jane discusses a book that she's reading. Beginning in about minute 36, she starts talking about the plot of a book that may be a trigger warning for those who are sensitive about discussions of rape, because the book she's talking about is Asking For It, which Aaron Galloway talked about in a previous podcast as well. I wanted to make sure to put that in the intro so that you would know if this is something that you don't think you want to listen to. We start talking about minute 36 or a little bit after that. This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of Trust the Focus, the first in a new romance series featuring two friends, Justin and Landry, on a post-college summer road trip. Download it on March 17th. And this week's podcast transcript is brought to you by Forever, publisher of Once and Always, the sweet and sexy novel by Elizabeth Hoyt, writing as Julia Harper. The music you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is. And now... Without any further ado, and yes, it's pronounced Davoaha, on with the podcast. So it seemed to me that with our podcast audience growing, which it is, which I think is very cool, that a lot of people may not know what this is. Well, funny that you should say that. You've forgotten what it is? Oh, no, boy. but I got an email from someone saying, What? In a publishing house who said, My author got nominated for your contest and I went to your website, but I can't figure out what it is. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> and then I told her, and she's like, Yeah, I would have never come up with that. <laughs> Yeah, from the name to the format, it's a little challenging if you're not familiar with it. I feel bad for everyone who logs in on the first day of voting and it's like, what, what is everyone talking about on Twitter? Right. I don't understand. I think we kind of need this right now because Twitter has been like a dismal, unhappy place of late. Yes, we definitely need something silly that is not llamas or color changing dresses because that's been done. Yeah, and I was reading Kristen Callahan, and um, I'm trying to remember the three authors that were gently trash talking each other, and it was very humorous. So, oh, I so, saw them. They were Ser they were being very complimentary. Um, Serena Bowen. There's someone else whose book I really want to read, and I haven't read. Can't remember. That's the story of my life. Can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you. The reader nominations will go, uh, will, be, will be finished tomorrow and we'll announce them on, on Saturday. So by the time this airs, this will all be done. I like being in charge of this. Do you like being in charge of this? Yes. <laughs> I enjoy this a lot. And this year went so much more smoothly for me. Really? Yeah, because I had saved everything from before. Oh, that was smart. Look at I you. I know. Can you? Which, and, and so like all of my headers and footers and stuff were already done. And I, I've, eight years later, I've gotten the hang of it. 
It only took me eight years. <laughs> only eight years. And I remember getting texts and messages from you at midnight going, I don't understand. It's not working. Oh, my God. Last year I was in, I don't know if you remember, but last year I was at the Mall of America and I was trying to set up the software, but I didn't have a win. I didn't because I have Macs and this is a Windows based software mm -hmm. and I couldn't get the Windows. And I'm like running all over the mall trying to buy a copy of Windows 7 or Windows 8. <laughs> I remember that you were in the Mall of America is not a small place. It was very stressful, but this year, I mean, I was really proud of myself uh, for getting it set up, and I so appreciate your schedule and your master to-do list. I mean, that is so good. Well, one of my New Year's resolutions last year was to make things as, easier, as easy for future Sarah as possible. So <laughs> present Sarah and past Sarah need to help future Sarah out because the, in all likelihood, future Sarah is tired and probably a little stressed out and you need to make things a little easier for future Sarah. So if you can write down what, what it is that you're doing so that next year you remember what you have to do, that would be very helpful. So I'm glad it was helpful for you too. It was really helpful for me. It was super helpful for me. I have to confess, and this is kind of funny because I see people saying, gosh, I've only read like three books on the D.A. slate, and I have not read that many. I've read maybe 10 of the 64 books. What's your um, reading rate? Oh, my goodness. Um, two, three. Um, I'm up to five. Wait, no, hold on. Six, <laughs> seven, eight. <laughs> I'm looking at the nominations, and I'm like, um, is... Um, uh, okay. nine, oh. that's nine, 10. And I'm currently reading one of them. So 14 out of 64. That's not a lot. I don't know of anyone who has read all of these books. The idea though, isn't that these are the books that everyone should have read. That's, that's not the point of the nomination slate at all. We give a lot of deference to our reviewers and other people that we rely upon to try to get a really diverse grouping of books. Right. Because if it was just your taste and my taste, it'd be a very short slate. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and none of it would be, none of it would be similar. <laughs> There'd be like one book we agreed on and every other well, category I mean, would I be like, what? Bollywood Affair uh -huh. would probably be my top pick. If you were going to select out of the contemporary nominees. Uh -huh. So we have, it happened one wedding by Julie James, vanished by Carter Quinn, Waiting on You, Kristen Higgins, Maybe This Christmas by Sarah Morgan, The Bollywood Affair, Into the Shadows by Carolyn Crane, Between the Sheets by Molly O'Keefe, and Bad Behavior by Kay Mitchell. If you were doing a selection, if you were picking your bracket, who do you think would come out of that category winning? Like, what was oh, your... Oh, well, I know, I feel like I know who wins, but that's not the book I would vote for. And that's a very important thing about the Dubois. There's three things that you have to kind of take into account when you select your bracket. One, which book or author has a fan base that's coordinated enough to schedule and manage voting in a very specific time period? And if you know of an author who's been in this before and knows how to do that, that's an advantage for picking your bracket. Which book you want to win is a totally separate question. And which book you think will win is probably influenced by the first, but may not be at all what you pick. Yeah, so just to explain it a little bit, um, I like sports a lot. And and I do not. 
<laughs> I like doing them. Like I like snowboarding and I like paddleboarding, but I don't, I'm not a big team sports fan anymore, except for baseball. But th then you just sit outside and drink and enjoy men running around slowly. That's completely different. So anyway. I don't remember how this started other than we were obviously not in our right minds at the time. Oh, I remember how this started. Oh, well, you have to tell the story then. It's not a very exciting story, but it has to do with you. Um, of obviously. So back <laughs> when Smart Bitches was co-run by me and Candy, we had come up with an award called the Bitchery Writing Award for Hella Good Authors. And we were like, we're going to give an award because we have Photoshop and books. And, you know, I remember when we first started our site, we would give away a $5 gift card to Amazon because that was what we could afford. Like our big prizes were things we made on Photoshop and $5 gift cards. But we came up with this honor award. to get a title. Oh, yes. Titles were a very big deal. So give an example of a title. Of a title. Oh, God. Well, I was uh, the Duchess of Cuntington. Right. I believe Candy was uh, Countess Guan de Amour. We've d given out uh, Duchess Twitter Pants, um, Cap uh, Viscountess of Man Titty, something vaguely obscene or spelled weirdly. Add a title to it. You're There you go. But we came up with this award for the books that we wanted to, to honor for a particular year. It might have been like 2006 or 2007. And our prize was pink quill feather pens because I thought they were cool and they were on sale. We had no budget. Then the following year, the year after, whichever was the first year of the Debaja, you and Candy and I were emailing and you said, I have always wanted to be a bracketologist. And we were like, okay. And you said, let's do a March Madness tournament of books because I really want to be a bracketologist. And we went, okay. And then like you with all of your technical wisdom went out and found this software that lets you customize your own bracket tournament. I think it's called Turbo Tourney. It is Turbo Tourney. And I have to give them props because they're very nice to us every year. They do a little favor for us so we can run it. Yes. We set up the idea, you you got the whole software thing set up, but this basically exists because Jane wanted to be a bracketologist. And so for people who don't follow this in, in the U.S., because I know we have uh, lots of international listeners, in the United States, there is a college basketball tournament, and they pick the 64 best college basketball teams, and then those Teams compete with each other over the course of two and a half weeks until there's a championship game. And then the winner is the crown, the NCAA champion for that year. And it's become such a thing in the United States. It's um, got a name. It's called March Madness. People around the country in their offices and friends do uh, betting pools, even though gambling is not allowed. <laughs> Yes. Although, isn't there a, like a one million dollar prize from someone for someone who gets the a perfect bracket? But that's like a lottery or a sweepstakes or something yeah. like that. It's not gambling because I I think like ESPN hosts it and you don't. There's no cost to enter. Right. So it's not gambling. But so the idea is that you take this slate of sixty four teams and you have a bracket with 32 teams on one side, 32 teams on the other. And the idea is you look at each match and decide who's going to advance all the way down until the champion is picked. 
And so that's what we do with our books. We have 64 books. I'm the one that, so you can blame me. I'm the one that will take the slate of nominations. I rank them. Yes, yeah, Jane does the seeding. This is part of being a bracketologist. <laughs> this is part of, right. <laughs> this is, this all exists because you really wanted to be a bracketologist. I know. I, truly, I was, I'm the worst. Um, and super <laughs> bracketologist. The, um, my law school roommate, Andy, was awesome at it. He, but he loved, I mean, like he read all of the statistics, like back when newspapers were a thing, back in the olden days when, you know, we were carted around in horse and buggy, he would read the newspaper <laughs> every day. <laughs> you mean that paper with words that would show up on your, on your porch every day? Yeah. And that would rub off on your hands and then on your face and then on your table and your clothes. Yeah. Yes. That. My grandmother, who is very, very proper, used to read the New York Times with a very specific pair of white gloves on. Oh, my Lord. I love her. I love her. <laughs> so he would read all the stats. And so he was very good at it. And one of the things that he told me, and I always remember, Andy was like, he like opened my eyes to so many things. Like he told me all these boy secrets I didn't even know existed. Really? Can you yeah, name like, one? Okay, so when guy guys when they scratch their balls aren't really scratching. They are pinching the um not pinching but well, I guess softly pinching the scrotum skin and rolling it. No kidding. Yeah, and then I read um, on a Reddit thread later on that the uh, just recently actually that that's exactly what they do. They don't scratch; they roll. You should ask Adam. I I will, and he will be very confused. <laughs> so you rank all of the books. You set them up into matches and pairs. Right. So we have eight categories, and then each and within each category, a book is ranked one through eight, and then the categories compete against each other. And I think we have, I think we have like contemporary that competes against historical and paranormal that competes against um, novel with romantic elements. And then YNA will probably compete against the category series and so forth. And so probably I guess the novella will go up against the reader nominations. I, what I should do is reader nominations versus contemporary. Cause I think contemporary is the most popular category these days. So anyway, and that's funny the the year we did the, I remember very clearly the first year we did this, which was like 2007, 2007. Six? It was two. It was we did it in two thousand and eight, but for two thousand and seven books. Right. I remember we had so many paranormal. Oh my gosh. We had like fifty different books that we could have nominated, and it was a struggle to fill the contemporary slot. Yep. Hence, save the contemporary, which doesn't need saving anymore. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to save it. It's all good. It's perfectly healthy. But yeah, I think you're right. I think contemporary is the strongest category. So in any event, on Sunday, Selection Sunday, if you go to DA Buaha and then click on the tourney site link, it will take you to our tournament pick sheet and you'll see the bracket and the books all laid out. And then you have to fill in which book you think is going to advance in each round until you pick the winner. And then there's a tiebreaker. And the tiebreaker is, and people get confused about this, so it's a number under 1,000 because yes. that's what the, the limits are. Yes. 
We love turbo. We love you, Turbo Turney. <laughs> it's not designed for our so our little game, but you still it still works. Yep. But in any event, the tiebreaker is. Are you waiting for me to fill that in? No. The total number of reader nominations received. Yes, that is correct. So it, it is a number less than a thousand. Right. Because that's the that's the limit. Well, in the real NCAA tournament, the tiebreaker is the total of the two scores of the final game, right? Right, but we get so many votes, there would be it, it would exceed a thousand. Oh no, we yeah, we can't use that number because whereas the actual NCAA is people playing basketball, ours is collecting individual votes, and it goes way over a thousand very quickly. And it's the idea is here's sixty four of the best books published in two thousand fourteen. Obviously, there's a lot of disagreement and books that we feel like we left off, but yep. we're, we're limited, you know, eight per category. And the idea is just to A, have some fun and B, kind of celebrate the year of publishing in romance. And also this year, we made a lot of changes to the categories. And good ones. I think so, yes. So in past years, we've had a GLBT category. And this year we decided, actually it was last year we were like, all right, we're not doing this again. We took all of the uh, gay, lesbian titles in romance, and instead of putting them all in one category, we put them in the appropriate genre category. Because as Heidi Cullinan said to me at one point during RT, male, male romance isn't its own genre. It fits in other genres which I agree with her. So now yeah. we have all of these different books in the proper genre category. But that does not mean that people don't disagree with us because they do. And they should. I mean, that's part of the point. It's, yeah, it's all about, well, and we run it. So it's our opinion that counts the most. It's <laughs> because <laughs> Jane wants to be a bracketologist. That's why, y'all. That's really the reason. But we do try to listen to what people have to say. And um, one of our goals was to make sure we really fielded a diverse slate of candidates. Right. Um, I like seeing new names and new books. That's my favorite thing. I don't like seeing the same books and authors appear year after year. Especially because one of the things that I think happens a lot in romance is that the genres change yearly, even six months. I mean, Steampunk is not as not something I hear as much about now, but I think that in another six months we'll hear more about romantic suspense and mystery romance. I think that each genre shifts and changes so much faster now that it it's better for us to have new and different authors in each of the categories. Oh, the burn cycle is so much faster because yes. the, that's a really good term for that. The speed to market, you know, before. If you look at Chick Lit and how long that kind of took to flame out, it took longer because they could only publish so many books, you know, because the pace of publishing in traditional is so much slower and yep. they can only publish so many books. Yep. So you didn't burn out as fast. Whereas oh my now, gosh, how long did it take Paranormal to die? Yeah, it's not dead. I would say historical is way deader than Paranormal. Right. I mean, well, in the immortal words of publishing expert Bruce Springsteen, 
everything dies, that's a fact, but maybe everything that dies someday comes back. Nothing's truly dead, but right. it's not the genre that everyone talks about. So don't go having a heart attack because I proclaim something dead. Nothing's ever really dead because Bruce Springsteen said so. <laughs> you killed paranormal. I just, wanted, <laughs> I just want everyone to know that while I might have killed historical, clearly Sarah is trying to kill paranormal. And I and for all you paranormal fans, I am trying to defend the genre because you know I love it. I'm trying to defend it against evil Sarah, who's clearly trying to take her sword and stab it in the gut. It's a silver sword, and I'm laughing so hard there are actual tears on my face. <laughs> Yes, I'm, I have it in for paranormal, except that I'm. I am... She has never liked you, paranormal. <laughs> it's coming out. I'm gonna get so much hate mail. Thanks, Jane. That was awesome. <laughs> oh, now I need to wipe my face. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of paranormal, have you read Anne Bishop yet? I was just going to say I have that, and I am terrified to start this series. Okay. Your fear is 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 contagious. <laughs> I have heard through the grapevine that it sounds like I'm safe to read book four, but, but at a question and answer event with, uh, Ann Bishop was with Patty Briggs. I think they were in Seattle. Someone said, are there going to be books beyond book five? Cause apparently she's committed up to book five. And she says, depends on how many people are left standing. <gasps> Fear. I know, but, but I heard, I, 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 uh, heard through the grapevine that book four is safe for me. Okay. <laughs> okay. I will try it because it, Hey, the murder of crows is nominated. Yeah. I'm actually really curious about the results of the novel with strong romantic elements categories. Cause as I have said before, the fact that that's not a read a category anymore bums me out severely because that was where I discovered a number of books that I love in that category. Because sometimes you want to have your romance tempered with a little bit of something else. And this year there's a lot of science fiction and fantasy and historical as well. The Paying Guests by Sarah Waters. I, have you heard of this book? Everyone I know was talking about this book. I couldn't turn into a podcast without someone talking about this book. So here is a question for you. One of the comments on my site, actually a couple of comments on my site when we posted the slate of nominees, echoed a bit of a discussion you and I had had about YA and New Adult, that they're not the same thing and they should no. not be in the same category. I agree. We I had disagree. a big debate about this. We did. Email. And I felt bad because you were on vacation and I'm like, gosh, I don't want to bother her about this on vacation. <laughs> but th this is good because I always tell people that you know, Sarah and I can't agree on anything, but we're still very good friends. Yes. And this is a very good example. We had a fierce debate yep. over the YANA, and we never came to any agreement. Nope. We still, I think, are legions apart. Yep. Yep. I'm supposed to insult you at some point. Let me know when that is, as I don't oh. know. <laughs> I'm supposed to. I like, think it's now. You, now? You, oh, I, I have to think of an insult. Okay. Well, stop with your words there. There you go. <laughs> My my perspective was I am aware that they are not the same genre, but they are close enough in my mind. And they're the, not. They are the the distance between new adult and young adult is much smaller to me than the distance between new adult and contemporary. So one of the arguments that was made in the comments on Smart Bitches was that we should have taken the new adult titles and put them in contemporary romance because that's what they were. 
And I don't see those two things as being similar enough to put them in the same category. I see the distance between YA and NA as much smaller than the distance between new adult and contemporary romance. Oh, I so disagree with you. Shocking. Shocking. For one thing, you could have totally put the Bollywood affair in the new adult category. It's about a college student. But it's not a new adult book. I don't think new adult is new adult. But no, I this is true. I do not. But I don't think new adult is based purely on an age. I think new adult is a set of themes. No, 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 no. Yes. No. Yes. No. First, you can't even say that because you don't read the genre. I have read enough of it. It's not like I haven't read any. I have read some. You can't define new adult by the popular books in the genre. I mean, we don't say that contemporary is just people in the city wearing high-heeled shoes and having meat cutes, or it's not just um, small-town romances. Those are a type or trope within the genre, and it's the same thing with new adult. Yes, the most popular books have a certain type of feel to them, but Sonali Devs totally fits in with the whole new adult over oh i totally disagree with you because that's to me as a harlequin presents you're right but the how many times have i said on this podcast that new adults are hps i don't remember you saying that before but i'm gonna guess that you have i, have <laughs> I just wasn't that. listening <laughs> of new adult that they remind me of hps and that i've actually replaced reading hps with new adults because they feature the same sort of high angst that i like to get from hps just in a different format now i think that it's a hugely different thing because there's a lot of people who say that new adult is just sexed up ya and i totally disagree i don't agree with that no Young people finding, um, with a lot of freedom, finding themselves and determining who they're going to be as adults. And I saw that in the Sonali Dove story, particularly with the girl who is um, married, she's married, I guess she is married, to um, a boy she was promised to marry by proxy, whatever you want to say. Well, they were both there. She was just four. So... it's to me, it's not just about age, but the type of discovery story. But see, here's where I disagree with you, because you said that new adult is about young people figuring out who they are as adults, right? Yeah. I see that same major theme in young adult. That's young people figuring out who they are at the very, very beginning edge of having autonomy, whereas new adult is farther along in that same sort of growth of autonomy and the ability for self-determination. Both young adult and new adult focus on individuals who are trying to figure out who they are in the middle of whatever circumstance they're in. So that's why I see them as two, as very close and much closer than, say, contemporary. If you <laughs> want to email the podcast and tell Jane she's wrong. About this. And I just <laughs> want everyone to notice that I totally gave in to this. And it was because Sarah was on vacation and I didn't want to bother her. <laughs> but we can bring it, people, next year. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the other things we almost did was we almost had a romantic suspense category. And, oh, that's where yeah. We, and Jane prevailed on that one because she argued, and I think she's correct, that romantic suspense is a variation of contemporary. 
it is a flavor of contemporary, if you will, a strong flavor, a flavor that is not for me, but it is a flavor of contemporary. And I agree with her. So we moved everything around. Yes. And then we ended up with the great, let's just have one slate reader nominated, which I love. That's going to be a lot of fun. So as you can see, the D.A. Boaja is a bunch of compromises. <laughs> yes. Actually, I just asked on Twitter, um, you know, I'm recording a podcast with you about this. Do you have any questions? And here are some questions from Katie F. How do you pick the books in each category? Are they from bestseller lists? Are they personally read or reviewed? Is it word of mouth? Do you read all the books and do you do a bracket? I do a bracket, but I say in the title of it that I'm not eligible. Jane, you do not because you are the bracketologist. Right. I think it's unfair. And I don't, I have, I like try to not even promote like who I think is going to win or, or encourage people to vote for a particular book because I don't want to unfairly sway the brackets or influence voting or anything like that. So how do we pick the books? Have we answered that sufficiently? It's us and our reviewers, and then we duke it out behind the scenes. Yes, the initial spreadsheet of, of nominees is much, much longer than the final slate of eight, and we argue a lot about who should go where and what should be in and what should not. Right, I have notes in there saying, this was the worst book ever. <laughs> <laughs> she went in there commenting, it was like, are you high? Why did you put this down? And there are some where I have not read them, but I know enough about the book and the people who have reviewed for me who have liked it to know that whether or not it would it would fare well in, in, and it would do well in the tournament. Not that it would win, but that it, that it should go in the tournament based on what I know of it. I have not read all 64 books. Like I said in my post, if it was me doing the contemporary, Joe Wilde would be there and Kate, Kristen Ashley would be there. But it's a compromise. It's looking at not just my preferences or your preferences, but those of the those the people that blog with us and and the things that they thought were great. And yep. that's why you know deferring to their opinions gives us, I think, a broader um, broader scope and, and more uh, diverse slate of nominations. I think the best compliment that I saw when we announced that it was time for the for the tournament nominations was people saying, oh my God, I'm so excited. I find out about the best books that I never would have heard of otherwise. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's the whole point. Exactly. That surprises. And that's the point of blogging, right? Is to introduce people to books that um, they might not ordinarily buy. You know, we had a discussion about just a brief discussion about ARCs on Twitter the other day because I've seen a lot of people on Facebook, a lot of authors, upset about the pirating of ARCs. Digital ARC? Um, yeah. And so they're talking about ways in which they handle things, like some people require reviewers to um, sign a contract and other others do other things. And, and, you know, there's a lot of hurt feelings for people who don't get ARCs and my feeling is that, hey, if you don't trust me, don't send me the ARC. And, and I totally think it's the author's right to feel that way and to um, not send books to people they, they don't feel comfortable with. And part of me wonders, hey, you know, maybe we should just eliminate the ARC practice altogether. That way authors won't feel compelled to send books to readers and, and bloggers won't have to feel like they're under suspicion all the time from authors. The one thing about ARCs is that it allows us to take chances on books that you and I or other bloggers wouldn't ordinarily buy or read ourselves. Yep. But because we get a free copy, sometimes we're curious enough to start a book. And I actually read a book last week. It wasn't um, 
an ARC. It was a finished copy. And for those who don't know what that is, uh, it's the actual book itself that you see in the retail sites. So publishers send to reviewers uh, advanced reader copies, and those go out six, four to six months before the book is published. And in about five, uh, three to five weeks before the book is published, reviewers are sent um, finished copies. And there's a lot more finished copies that go out than these ARCs, because ARCs are really expensive. Yep. So the finished copy uh, was of a book called um, When uh, Joss Met Matt. And it was a book about uh, friends uh, with benefits who eventually fall in love. And it's just not a book I would buy myself because that storyline doesn't appeal to me. But I, it was sitting on my desk and I'm like, hmm, I open it. I read a couple pages and I end up reading the entire book. And so that's just an example of how publicity is supposed to work. Mm -hmm. And that's the purpose of ARCs too, is to allow people... A, a no risk or low risk opportunity to discover a new book that can work sometimes. But the idea behind the Debuaha is really let's talk about books um, that we really loved last that were published last year and help people to find maybe a new favorite read. The other part of ARCs is that it, it, it is a relic from when there was a lot more advanced press about books. And there was a lot yeah. more press about books in general because, you know, for even to get into romantic times, you have to have submit the book for review months in advance. I know Kathy Robbins, who reviews a lot of books for romantic times, she lives near me and she'll probably it's it's March. She's probably reading like Christmas books right now for 20, 2015, 2017, maybe. I don't know. You, it's, it's a relic from when you needed a long lead time to get any press mention about a book. And that's not so true for most book publications because there aren't that many anymore. And you can't do that much pre-sales for self-published books as much either. So for me personally, I actually have saved my arcs until just before the book comes out because I don't want to talk about something in advance when someone else can't buy it because, as I've said, my whole goal is poor impulse control because I want everyone to have as poor impulse control as I do. And if I talk about a book that I loved and you can't buy it, that well, that's sucky, and I, I hate making people feel bad. With the arcs, though, I often feel terribly guilty receiving an arc that I know is not even remotely close to my genre and the, the sort of list cultivation of who gets what arc sometimes has very, very little to do with what genre you're reviewing. You just get on a list and your name gets copied. Oh, we, uh, Jane with a Y reviewed a World War II book once. And okay. ever since then, I feel like I've gotten every World War II book ever published. I got Benazir Bhutto's biography. Not a romance, not a happy ending. <laughs> that's like my perfect example like how and if it has a woman on the front maybe that's the list we're on it's got a chick on it send it to them <laughs> oh, well, female book well, send it to the romance bloggers like i got the the american sniper book before it was ever made into a movie yep i got a copy of that too between scribd and my library and the books that i know that i want to buy and i have coupons for or i save up and buy i, I would be okay without them but i don't think that's true for everybody yeah, I mean, it, I would be okay with it, too. I'm not going to lie and say that, like, I got an uh, arc the other day of, um, and I'm sure you got it, too, of Lisa Claypass's next book. No, I did not. You did not? <gasps> okay, now I'm going to pitch a fit on social media. Damn it. I'm just kidding. It's fine. 
Well, I got the an arc of it. <laughs> did you read it and already? I did. I like could barely. I I had to eat dinner with my family, but as soon as it was done, I pushed them all away. Escaped up to my bedroom, my office, and read it. Is it good? It is good. It's 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 a very simple storyline, but um, Clay Pass's ability to uh, make you care about her characters is just amazing. I'm so excited and, that you liked it. And so um, I really enjoyed it. And you totally get the good book feeling when you're done. Yes. Uh, so it's not my favorite. I mean, I have to. I've reread the middle two. I, I don't reread the first one. I always get mad about that. <laughs> I reread this a second two, and I think I've come to really think that Blue Eyed Devil is my favorite. And the one you're talking about now is Brown Eyed Girl. Correct. And that's coming out in August. Right. I did not realize when I tweeted about it that it was coming out so late because I never read. Do you read those inserts? No, I suck. <laughs> I don't read them either. So I didn't know. I actually also read a book that's coming out in May or June, The Asking For It. Oh, the one that Erin was talking about in the podcast. What did you think? Yeah, are you, you should get a copy from her. You think I would like it? I don't know. I think it's exactly what it says it is. It's a book about a woman who has a rape fantasy and she explores it. Okay, sure. So <clears throat> it really depends on... Some people just, I find that really offensive, but I thought that the way Lila Pace handled it was so well done because the heroine was assaulted and she has a lot of guilt over the fact that this is something that she, that sexually arouses her and she's in therapy and you see her in therapy. But what happens is she meets a guy, she tells her long-term boyfriend, she ultimately confesses to him that she'd like to do this and he just can't do it. They end up breaking up, they're at a party and he's really drunk and he starts apologizing to her and says, oh, I wish I could have done this for you. I wish, and he's being loud and he blurts out, I wish I could have, I can't remember the exact words, but basically tells the entire party what her fetish is. <gasps> Yikes. Right, so she's humiliated and embarrassed. She goes off. Another a guy she um, who helped change her tire comes up to her out and as she's away from the and she's like in the backyard away from the crowd trying to um, gain regain her composure and he says to her if this is truly what you want I can deliver that for you so the entire story is about the setup of their sexual encounters and they talk about. Not why they like it, but how that's going to play out. What are the hard limits? That sort of thing. So it's a lot about consent in among a fantasy that is that is not about consent. Exactly. But it also explores the psychological, like, why does she like it? And there's a point in the story, which I thought was really great, in which the therapist says to her, have you ever thought about the possibility that you would have liked this fantasy regardless? of your past history. So I felt like it treated that fantasy with respect and that people and didn't denigrate it in any way, but still showed the emotional guilt and trauma that a woman might have 
wanting that fantasy. Huh. It was kind of funny because as I'm reading it, the first two sexual encounters are pretty mild. And I'm like, okay, this is a girl who likes a rape fantasy. And I think that like 95% of the couples have probably acted out this one, right? But um, it does escalate through the story. And which makes sense because initially they don't know each other. And so going really hardcore doesn't really make sense. And it's only after they begin to trust each other more that they can really act it out. And then the conflict, what kind of the dark moment at, toward the end of the book is really interesting. And it is a sexual one, but it's very interesting how it kind of flips. Um, and it's, it's a cliffhanger. And there's the second book, but it's, and I hate cliffhangers. But when you're reading the story, you're like, these two characters are so screwed up. There's no way they can fix it in the next, you know, 40 pages. Whoa. That does sound really interesting. It is. I thought, you know, because rape fantasy is a big part of our genre. And and it's a big part of women's fantasies. I mean, if you look at, I think FetLife did a poll and uh, domination, submission, and rape fantasies were the top fantasies there. Maybe I will try to get a copy of this. So of the books that are um, on the Dubois list, which ones that you haven't read are you curious about? I want to read, and I don't like novellas, <laughs> but I want to read Indecent Exposure by Jane O'Reilly and Unwrapping Her Perfect Match by Kat Latham. I've wanted to read Kat Latham for a long time. It seems like she's an author uh, I would really like, but Jane with a Y reviews her books. So and I if someone like else I... on your team is reviewing it, it's really hard to it's really hard to review it if you know someone else is. Right. And then the other books, uh, Bitter Spirits by Jen Bennett. Like at first I was this is set in I think the twenties or something like that. But the villain is a Chinese character and it's the only, I think person of color in that book. And I thought, oh, I just don't know if I want to read about the only Asian being the villain. But I've heard the series is really good, so I might overcome my prejudice against <laughs> that book. <laughs> I have heard that I think some, something is tickling the back of my brain that he's the hero of a future book, but I could be wrong about that. No, I think you're right. I think in the third series, in the third book, he is the hero. So that's kind of why I'm like, hmm, well, maybe I'll go back. I know that Carrie read and reviewed that series and there were things that she didn't like about the world and the way that the characters navigate it, but she says it's really good series. It's not like an unequivocal gush of, oh my God, this is so good. You're missing out if you don't read it, but she really liked it. So, so what about you? What are the books that you're interested in? Well, it, this is sort of a cheating answer, but Murder of Crows is in the strong romantic elements. And so now I want to read Written in Red and is it Vision in Silver? Yes. Blade of Silver or something silver. So now I want to read that series. And I have never read the Mary Robinette Kowal series. And so now I want to read that one too. So basically I could park myself somewhere for a couple months and have enough to read. The other thing that I keep coming back to and thinking, okay, I want to read that. Okay, I want, I want to read that. I want to read that. I want to read that is um, Worth the Fall by Claudia Connor. Because you have talked about it so much. I am so have curious. I? I'm, I've totally built it up. Then. I only think I talked about it in one podcast. Yes, but you and I definitely talked about it another time. I just, okay, I'm, I don't want to build it up. <laughs> it's good, but it's not that good. <laughs> 
you should read the second book because I couldn't get into the second book. So maybe you'll really love it. That's totally normal. How has your uh, C.L. Wilson reread been going? You are tempting me mightily with that series. Oh, I'm done. And it was great. You read the whole series or just the first one? The whole series. How many books are there now? Is it um, is the series done or does it end unfinished? Um, No, it's done. I think it's five books. Nice. Because those are big books. Didn't seem like it when I was rereading, but I skipped over some parts. And like I said on Twitter, the Shan and Elfea subplot became more interesting, um, and particularly on the reread. And I think ultimately their romance, where they survive a thousand years of torture and torment, mm -hmm. um, is the more compelling romance than the main characters which is Elisetta and Rain. Yep. I I am very tempted by your reread to Mike to go back and reread that series. Did you read The Winter King? The Winter King. That was CL Wilson's most recent book? No, I did not. What did you think? I thought it was bad. Oh, bummer. I think, you know, if it come from a, maybe a different author, and this is the unfairness of it, right? Um, if it come from another author, I wouldn't have thought so much about it. Or I don't know if I would have thought it was as bad. But when you compare that book with the seal with the Terran Soul series, it's just like night and day. It doesn't even feel like it's the same author. The next one, The Sea King, that looks like all of those books that were advertised in the middle of the romance novels when they had that cardboard cutout in the middle so you could join the join the club with a postcard. I can tell you right now I'm not reading that book unless someone tells me it's amazing. I would rather reread. The Hero's Mullet is amazing. It's got curls. Oh, my Lord. It, you need to see this cover. It's impeccable. Like, I know. It is such a throwback to the old sort of fuchsia. It looks like a Penelope Neary cover. This cover is amazing. And his chainmail lovingly traces his abs. Wow. Yeah, I think I'm reading this. The only the only sad thing is it's the letters that are fuchsia and not her dress. If her dress or her eyeshadow were fuchsia, I would be like 100% reading this right now. Even if it's not done, I wouldn't care. So let me see if we have any additional questions about the Dubois. Are you ready? Yep. Jane, why didn't you nip the name in the bud when Sarah first suggested it? Uh, <laughs> because she names things. She's the namer. I'm the bracketologist. Sarah's the namer. Awesome. I like this. I will name all the things and they will make no sense. Yes, I like this plan. We all I, have our roles. We all have our roles and mine is bad names. And that is all for this week's podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. And good luck if you are in the Dubois tournament. I hope your bracket is incredibly unbroken. Next week, we have an interview with Jay from Joyfully Jay. We're going to be talking about male male romance, her favorite authors, books she recommends. It could get very expensive, so I apologize in advance. The music you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is Celtic Frock by a UK duo called Deviations Project which features producer Dave Williams and violinist Oliver Lewis. This is from their album, The Ivory Bow, which you can find at iTunes and Amazon and wherever your fine, fine music is sold. This podcast was brought to you by Intermix, publisher of the Trust the Focus, the first in a new romance series featuring two friends, Justin and Landry, on a post-college summer road trip. It's on sale now wherever ebooks are sold. 
And each week we do a podcast transcript, which is carefully and meticulously handcrafted by Garlic Knitter, who is a professional transcriptionist, so she's extra badass at it. Podcast transcript this month is brought to you by Forever, publisher of Once and Always, the sweet and sexy new novel by Elizabeth Hoyt. Writing is Julia Harper. If you have interview suggestions or questions you'd like to ask, or we didn't address your burning questions about the Dubois Hawk, please email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. Future podcasts will most definitely include listener mail responses because your mail from listeners is pretty awesome. In the meantime, on behalf of Jane and myself, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend.